KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. Christian Teftrup had never made a horror film until he realized what really scared him. I'm more scared of other people than I'm scared of ghosts. And and if you can get that feeling to an audience, then you are more scared. And that is because it's so intimate, relatable. Get ready for the slow burn horror of Speak No Evil. Welcome back to listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. I saw Speak No Evil at Virtual Sundance earlier this year. It was my favorite film of the festival, and it's on my top 10 for 2022. It's intense and anxiety-inducing, but executed with such an elegant, subdued style that I was completely riveted from opening frame to last. It took a left turn that shook me in a way similar to Bone Tomahawk and it made me uncomfortable in the same way Michael Haneke's films make me feel. So I can't wait to dive into the horrors of Speak No Evil, which is currently streaming on Shudder. Today I'll be speaking with Danish director Christian Teftrup about the challenges of crafting a horror film rooted in our fear of being socially awkward. In the post-film discussion at Sundance, he and his cast were cheerful, and it was amusingly incongruous how much fun they had making a film that puts audiences through the ringer. Kudos all the way around for their stellar work. I need to take a quick break before getting to my interview. To lead us into that break, here's a Share Your Addiction from a Comic-Con attendee with his own thoughts about horror. Hello, I'm Deadpool, known as William. I'm from San Diego, California, and I am addicted to movies. I just love film, love making them, love watching them. I think there's something to take from every movie, even if it's good or bad, you can see what someone did right or wrong. There's so much you can say in a movie, I think. Like with Aliens, for example, it's a creature feature and it's a classic, right? But there's still so much about gender politics in it, and it's so like deeply layered in there. But there's also movies like Friday the 13th, which are just classic slashers. It doesn't necessarily have to be deeper than that. So I think there's a lot you could take from any given movie. And I like that art is, in general, is open to interpretation. And you can take whatever you want from a film, really. Uh, If you want it to be deep, it can be deep. If you don't, then, you know, it's just a movie. I could go on for hours, but overall, movies are great. People should watch more of them. I think people would be smarter if they did. KPBS On Demand is supported by the National Conflict Resolution Center. Topics like political polarization and hybrid work policies can create workplace conflict. NCRC can help workplace leaders navigate divisive issues with the culture, communication, and conflict certificate. More at ncrconline.com. Welcome back to Cinema Junkie. Today we're going to investigate how a director makes a squirm. Let's just dissect the opening scene of Speak No Evil to set the stage for my interview with director Christian Teftra. The film opens with a creepy shot of driving through the dark. We know it's something bad, and then the music hits a horror crescendo. But the edit leaves the darkness behind and instead drops us into a gorgeous sunny pool in Tuscany. 
The music ratchets up the tension brilliantly by toying with us. It misleads us, confuses us, and goes from overt horror punctuation in the cheery and mundane scenes to almost sweet and lyrical when the story takes a truly brutal turn. It's contradictory and ironic and diabolically effective. If you were to remove the music, the film would have very little tension. This is just one of the carefully planned strategies that Teftrup uses to keep us off balance and uneasy. I was eager to discuss the film with him and began by asking where the idea for it came from. Well, it sounds weird, but actually real life experiences, of course, not as far out as in the movie, but but it was actually my experiences from holidays because I traveled a lot like this where you, um, you know, you meet people you don't know that well on holidays and you make friends. Oh, I want a toast uh, to you guys, uh, to Italy, of course, to the food, of course, and to love. And it's like the perfect week. And then sometimes I've I've seen these people seen these people again a half a year after. And it's never like the holiday. Especially it's like half a year later. So it's winter time and they live in a place that is not exotic and and you have really nothing to talk about. And then there is this awkwardness. But it's also in an innocent way because you liked each other so much on the holiday that you you try to repeat that memory. The, the really first thing that where I said, let's move, make a movie about it is that um, with my wife and, and, and kid, we met a Dutch couple in Italy in 2016 and immediately we became friends and they were so nice, but also a little bit creepy. And I could not tell, are they really what they say they are? And then they invited us to see them. And I said, no, <laughs> but, but then I just came home and I started to imagine what if we have went on that holiday with them or that weekend in Rotterdam? Would How would that look like? Dear Louise, Björn and Agnes, we would love to invite you to come to visit us. What would you, what do you say? <laughs> and then very fast, it was more interesting as a horror uh, film in my head than, than a comedy. So I, I decided with my brother, let's let's write it as, you know, a very dark tale where the worst thing that can happen actually happens. And how would that look like? So it is like a combination of all that awkwardness and discomfort that I know very well in life combined with a more genre and horror convention. That was something very, very new to me. I've never made a horror movies. I don't know much about it, but it was such a liberating thing to discover what it can do to to the ideas that we had. You brought up this idea of like social awkwardness. How does that play into the film? Because it seems very key. Well, I think that was the our basic conversations in the beginning that when we looked at our lives and the way we socialize with other people, we kind of discovers how good we are at social rules, but also how dictated we are by behavior. And especially, you know, when you meet people you don't know that well, you really fight for having a good conversation. It's very, very awkward if we have a long pause or if you feel that I'm not that interested, I look away. And, you know, that is a field that is, it's filled with tension. You know, the language of small talk, everyone is fighting, especially in Denmark, where we are not that good at it as in America, I think. But, but we just thought that sometimes we are so dictated by that. 
and we are almost raised with social conventions. We are from we are children. We are taught to be, you know, a part of the group. And if we don't, if we do something else, or we have another opinion, we are very ashamed of ourselves. So, so we thought that there was a lot of dramatic material there. And then we just really discovered how much we sacrifice ourselves for the good atmosphere or for pleasing other people. And there's nothing wrong about pleasing other people, but there's there's something wrong about not taking that inner voice seriously, where you sometimes have an intuition of maybe I shouldn't be here, or maybe I shouldn't be in this relationship anymore, or maybe I should have not been taking this job. Or some the other day somebody called me trying to sell a newspaper. And I was so polite. I was more like, you know, oh, I'm in a meeting. I was not in a meeting. Can you call me tomorrow? And oh, and and I could have said I'm not interested. So why did I do that? And I thought it's such a human thing. So there's a lot of humor in that, but it's also like something we, it's almost sweet. <laughs> well, one of the things I really admired in the film is the way you do build tension, and. You open the film with a shot that kind of tells us this is all going to end badly, but then you jump to this beautiful sunlit pool and everything. So talk about how you kind of like ratchet it up and then bring it back and and how that really works. Yeah, it's works. funny. It's well, you know, as as because you know because horror was such a new field for me. I thought in the beginning that we should also create a script filled with jump scares and maybe supernatural elements. And I was trying to build it up like you know that classic way to do a horror where you have more scares in the first half also. But I'm not good at that, and I found it silly and cliched. And then when we took away all that, I really discovered that the, the real horror is in between people. Is something that you can relate to. Real horror for me is not ghosts or aliens from outer space. It, it's it's being with other people, and it's like something that are not you know said. It's something very subtle, because we had this situation. What happens when we are among strangers? What happens when we are guests? There are so much tension in that. It was really like a lot of gifts coming up, but the real struggle that we worked on for a long time is how you find that balance because if they are too crazy in the beginning you would say why don't they leave so we discovered that every scene should have two choices even they are intimidated or they could also just be overreacting and that's the way the characters are feeling and i wanted the audience to have that feeling too maybe something bad is going to happen but i'm not sure maybe it's just me misunderstanding it and then I, I discovered that I really like the build-up in horror films that you know something, something stark or bad is gonna happen. I can feel that I'm on the edge of my seat, but I can't tell yet. And somebody is guiding me a little bit towards that brutal end that I don't know what's gonna be. And all that expectations of something—that's that's something I find very, very do doable in a horror movie, and and it works for me. And then in many horror movies, I think the endings are you know, often very silly and too much and wants to explain everything. So I, I was trying to stretch that feeling of tension for so long as I could without giving it away. And then in the end, of course, makes it explode more. So it was it, it was out of lack of, you know, not being capable of doing a horror film right, but then also being honest about where is the real horror. And, and that is much relatable and intimate for me more than invaders from outer space. <laughs> 
and talk specifically about the music. It was almost like the music was going counter to what the visuals were. It seemed like the music was more scary when the images were not, and kind of almost beautiful when the images started to get more disturbing. Yeah, you know, I worked along with a long time with my composer, and he's also a friend of mine, and and we wanted to make a score that was not just underneath the characters' feelings and all that, but was a voice in itself, a character in itself. And almost like an opera, we talked, let's make the film as an opera. How would it look like if we were allowing ourselves to think big? And what we discovered was that the, the music was almost like the destiny, that here we have a family that's kind of lived safe lives and they're pretty nice and they're just going on a holiday, but they don't know that they're going to end their life in a year. <laughs> but the film knows and the music knows. And we thought there was this great element of going against the images. We also tried with nice music, but if you have a nice view and nice romantic music, people will think it's a romantic comedy. What you discover there is that you have to guide your audience a little bit from the beginning. You you have to give them a hint of, we're going to a bad place together, but we, we don't know where yet, but you know, it's gonna come. And then we just thought it had an expression to say, let's go all the way with that. They're just walking on a field, having a small talk, but the music says that. You just wait. <laughs> um, excuse me? Agnes really wants to try the slide. And uh, do you think it's possible to ask uh, Abel to uh, move away just for one second? So it was a choice and, and some people really like that and some people find it a little bit funny. But if you look at the beginning of The Shining, for instance, they're also just driving in a car and then the music tells you like, okay, this is gonna be bad. So it's it's also a, a trick you can use in horror films. And, uh, and I like that the music has a voice and it's not just there for the feelings of the characters. Yeah, yeah, so that was what it was about, yeah. Well, that kind of goes to Another thing that, that's in this film is like horror intersects in interesting ways with both comedy and beauty, like in ways you don't, like a lot of people don't necessarily expect. In your film, there's moments when we're not sure if we should laugh or be really scared. And there's moments where we're kind of sucked into a certain beauty that's in the film, even though if you really dissect the content, we shouldn't think it's pretty at yeah, all. That's, 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 I'm happy you say that because that's, in the beginning, I said, I can make a horror film because it doesn't live up to the conventions all the time. But when I look at films that I really, really like, I like that films make clashes of different things like life. I mean, they are both scary and funny and and you don't know where it's going and it, it has something to say. And I think a lot of, you know, classical horror films from the 80s or 90s, they had nothing to say. They just wanted to be effectful and, and scary but had flat characters, flat stories. And what I discovered more in like, yeah, also American, modern American horror films is that they mix genres more. I don't know if, if you know, Midsummer or Get Out is a farce, a comedy, or is it a horror film or, but for sure it is both. And, and it's also something that makes a lot of social 
comments. So I thought you. So I think nowadays you can you can bend the genre more, and you can actually use a great genre also to say something about human life or society. And horror is such an effectful genre because you you want to disturb people. Many films doesn't disturb you; they please you, and they pick you up in the end. And I think horror is just. The ambition of horror to make you scared or disturbed, leaving the cinema, you know, shaken, is something that filmmakers love to do. So, so I was more, you know, trying to be honest of using what I could use and think of horror in a more artistic way. Yeah, like you know, when Haneke uses horror elements, he he does it because he's he has a voice himself and he takes what he can use and. But it's never really like a classical horror. It's more like a realistic take on horror, and I, I, I allowed myself to take that freedom. But we had many people who who di disagreed with me, who said this is not a horror, and some people said this is a black comedy, or this is a family drama, and some people said it's a thriller. And but you know, my my ambition was to to do my take on horror, with the horror I love, and that is more in familiar with Polanski or some of the seventies horrors where you also spend a lot of time knowing the characters building up a naturalistic world where you break it and and that's very effectful for me okay i need to take one last break and then i'll be back with the second half of my interview with speak no evil director christian teftra KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. Welcome back. Many contemporary horror films fail to make us care about their characters. And if you don't care about the characters, then it's hard to build tension. But Speak No Evil makes us care, so everything that its characters go through, we go through, and we fear for their safety. I asked Tefdrup about creating characters that engage us. I wanted to make it hard to watch and, 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 and touching and something you could identify with. We talked a lot about it would be nice if the, 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 the audience actually felt they were up there on the screen with them and that it mirrored situation that they feared being in. And, and that is like relatable horror. And of course, I, you know, I, I'm more scared of other people than I'm scared of ghosts. And, and if you can get that feeling to an audience, then you are more scared when you, you know, I had a lot of feedback from people meeting strangers on holidays in Italy saying, oh, you ruined my holiday. I met this Dutch couple. Now I, I don't know what to do. And that is because they, they don't write, I met a ghost, you know, and that is because it's so intimate, relatable. And, but I think horror has, you know, they, it's been a guilty pleasure in many ways in Denmark. And, and you can see a horror, it has a bad stories, but you forgive it because it's a horror. And I think that's wrong because why don't make it deeper and why don't make it more interesting because horror as a genre is so effectful. So, so it's a genre that we need to do something with, which I think many new filmmakers do. And as a filmmaker, you always want to work with the uncomfortableness and, and the awkwardness and, you know, between people. It's a very common artistic way. So it's, it's, it feels like a perfect match for many new directors to use horror in a more, in a more original, relatable way. 
your film screened at Sundance, but it was virtual. And with a film like this, it just feels like it needed an audience. <laughs> yeah. So did you feel kind of cheated by not being able to watch the audience squirm a little bit during your film? I'm not just cheated, I felt devastated. Um, and I'm still not really over it. You must imagine, I've make, made films for many years and also tried to get into Sundance before. and. And now it actually happened and I knew it for, you know, eight months and then it was cancelled two weeks before and we were, you know, going there the whole team. And I've been to Sundance so many times in my head, you know, but I've never been there. And and it was so hard because, as you say, we we did we hadn't seen the film with a with a audience only at some test screenings. And when that didn't happen, it just felt like the worst movie not to see with an audience. I mean, we had a lot of uh, feedback from online premiere, but it took me some while to accept it. And now I had more experiences, different parts of the world in, in festivals, so I could have that feeling, but it will never be the same. And I, I think someone took that experience away from me and it's been, it's been a bit, uh, yeah, definitely cheated. Yeah. <laughs> The film feels really precise in how it's executed because it does feel like it's very ramped up and very carefully ramped up. But like, how much work did you do in the scripting? Did you storyboard? Did you feel like you went in with a very kind of strict way of putting it together? Or was this a film where you also had some play in, in terms of that and some work that was done in the editing room? Yeah, you know, I every phase of a film and you you I stay in that phase for a long time and you know when we when I think back of how we did the script I think we had the idea pretty fast but then we talked you know for half a year and then we wrote the fast the, the very fast we wrote it in a week but then we rewrote it 11 times and I think it's because it was not it was not difficult to get the situations but but be as you say precise and work with the details because and and actually work with what is underneath this very recognizable situation, what it is about, and it's not just about somebody eating meat or a vegetarian. There's so much more at stake. He's been cooking all day. He's making wild boar. This is for you. I'm a vegetarian. I insist. <laughs> I insist. <laughs> no, no. I wait till it's till my favorite part of the roast. Okay. It's delicious. Then it's crispy and soft at the same time. So we worked a lot of what is in between the words and how do we get a feeling of something devilish underneath everything. So I think we worked a lot with that and we worked a lot with preparing the film. When you do a horror, you have to find a horror house. You have to find a horror restaurant, uh, you know, if, if characters that looks like actors that looks have a horror face. I mean, everything has to fit in that elevated universe you want to create. And it also took six months to edit because we had to find, you know, the story underneath all the scenes and and what it is really about and to find the voice there. So it was never like panic or anything, but I think we used a lot of time getting it like really, really precise. And it's only an hour and a half, but we caught a lot of way and away from the film and, and really tried to make it, you know, really precise. Um, so yeah, you're right. It took a lot of time, but it's a hard film to do because there are not big shocks, uh, big turning points. It's a slow burn and it, it takes its time. 
but you want to you don't want to get bored you want to stay with the characters where you are all the time and not get you know you have to be entertained also even though it's small tools so yeah i worked i worked a lot with everything in this film for many years yeah talk about your casting and what you were looking for in each of these actors to fit these roles yeah it was fun because i i wanted to find a very ordinary danish couple that was almost looked like you know everyday life people and and the, the, the truth is when you have great actors in a your in a country they they all all look so special and exotic and everyone that came into that casting was so confident and these characters are a little more off they're kind of struggling just being themselves and the two Danes who got the part were perfect but not experienced they especially him had only done theater and they were overdoing it a lot so I decided to show them the castings and work with them for a long time before actually shooting it. And it worked that in that sense, it was a great choice because they became better. Uh, and then with the Dutch actors, I wanted somebody who had a more demon-like feeling. And, and, and I didn't know them, but they are apparently great stars in Holland. And, and then I, you know, I couldn't say so much to them because then I would ruin it. They are so experienced. So it was more a question of, you know, guiding them in the right direction. And then, of course, matching the couples, they they have to be very different. And it's like, you know, Patrick, the character practice kind of mirrors what Bjorn lacks in life and in himself. And he's more contact with the primitive nature. And Bjorn is so civilized and behaving great all the time. So it was almost like it was the dark side of himself that he was longing for. And all that you have to find in your actors. And you never know if you find it. So you go around being nervous because if the, you don't have the access, you don't have the story, you can't create that message to the audience. So we also spent eight or nine months finding the right uh, ones. But uh, yeah, I think I was lucky and these were the best we could find. And, and, and there were also actors who didn't want to be in the film. So, I mean, I didn't have any every choice in the world. I had a lot of no's because of the ending. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for talking about Speak No Evil, and, and thank you for the excruciating experience you gave me. <laughs> it was amazing. Thank you so much. One of my favorite films for the year. <laughs> thank you. It's very kind of you that I take that with me. Thank you. That was filmmaker Christian Teftra. His film Speak No Evil is currently streaming on Shudder. That wraps up another edition of KPBS listener-supported Cinema Junkie. Remember to check out Cinema Junkie's companion videos from the Geeky Gourmet, because I'll show you how to make some food themed to my podcast. You can find the videos and more podcasts at kpbs.org slash cinemajunkie. Next up, I'll speak with author Matthew Klickstein about his new book, See You at San Diego, which looks to the origin of Comic-Con and the rise of geek culture. If you enjoy the podcast, then please share it with a friend, because your recommendation is the best way to build an addicted audience. You can also help by leaving a review. Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com.